You are listening to the 12 Stone Podcast. For more information on our eight locations or service times, please visit 12stone.com. Now enjoy Pastor Kevin Myers as he delivers a conversation among men. So welcome to 12 Stone Across the Campuses and Online. We are so excited to be together in the midst of this season where we're having conversations about transforming families. And we've been sitting in Genesis 1 to 3 to learn something of God's design for us. How God transforms a family and a marriage. We've, we've talked about the, the foundations for family, for marriage. We, we've talked about uh, from the perspective of Eve last week on Mother's Day. And so today, we're going into the story from Adam's perspective. And here's the conversation we're going to have. We're going to answer the question, what does it mean to be a what? A man. From Adam's perspective, let's, let's jump in. Grab your Bibles, and we'll turn in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, grab your Bibles, cross the campuses, mobile device, Genesis chapter 1, we'll start with, with verse 27. So we're, we're on page 2. We've made it to page 2 so far. Making great progress. So what does it mean to be a man? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own Image, men and women in his image. In his own image, it says, in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Now listen, we're going to read on. And you're going to discover that before there was sin in the world, there was responsibility. Verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. In other words, have lots of babies. <laughs> And I don't think he had to tell Adam twice to go take care of that. Anyhow, fill the earth and subdue it, it goes on to say, and rule over, there's a ruling role, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and every living, over every living creature that moves on the ground. In other words, I want you to rule over the earth. Why? Because you are responsible for it. In fact, just jump over to chapter 2, look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Listen, working is not the curse. <laughs> we had responsibility before sin entered the world. Verse 16, chapter 2. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, we unpacked a good bit of that temptation last weekend. But what we see here is that there was a rule, and the rule was to obey God. And there are two things that are clear for men that we can kind of pull out of this. And we'll put it here on the screen. First, God created us to be responsible. Everybody say that with us. God created us to be what, men? Responsible. And irresponsibility creates conflict. See, God created us to be responsible. Listen, you are most fulfilled I'm talking to everybody, really, but specifically to men. Everybody can listen. Everybody can benefit. We're all created to be responsible. But men, you are most fulfilled when you are fulfilling your responsibility. It's a fact. In fact, I just want everybody across campuses, look to the person next to you and say, you're sitting next to a responsible person. Just tell them. You're sitting next to a responsible person. Because they might not know it. 
You might have just educated them. But irresponsibility creates what? Sure it does. Now turn to your neighbor again and say, I've been meaning to talk to you. Yeah, just go ahead. Just look over. I've been meaning to talk to you. Because irresponsibility creates conflict. It, it creates conflict inside you. It creates conflict around you. It creates conflict in marriage. When you don't, when you don't do your job, and it creates conflict in, in work. It creates conflict in the church. I mean, I just everything breaks. And listen, it creates conflict in your relationship with God. Irresponsibility creates conflict. I uh, had accepted a responsibility uh, to speak at Leadership Gwinnett. It's an annual leadership development thing that happens in, in our county. Really cool. They get like 40 business leaders from all uh, sectors of life. And, 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 and I've done this a few times with them. It's really quite an honor. I love doing it. So a couple weeks ago, I was to speak at 9 a.m. Uh, on a Saturday morning. At 9.15 on that Saturday morning, my executive assistant, Diane, texted me and said, where are you? Yeah, I was up at a cabin in North Georgia with my family. See, on Wednesday, I knew what I was going to do on Saturday. I was going to be all ready and just leave the cabin and go do that at Lake Lanier. But, but, but I forgot. <laughs> that, when I saw the text and, and the, my brain, this apparently old, not working well brain went, bing, oh yeah. Do you know how I mean, there was so much conflict inside me. I'm like, who's at fault here? Who messed up? Right? I mean, just I feel horrible. There's conflict there. They got a group, they're gathering. I'm supposed to be speaking. How many of you have ever messed up, ever dropped the ball, ever failed on response? How many of you do you hate that feeling like I do? I mean, just everything in you is like, oh, I just want to die, I want to crawl, I want to go away. I just ah, get me out of here. In fact, a few years ago, I was at a, a, a local event, and Jeff Foxworthy was supposed to be a part of it and speak, and, and, and he was going to be at my table, so I, that was going to have been my first chance to meet him. I, I've met him since, but, but and, and he was a no-show. And, and, the, and the friend called him and said, dude, where are you? He was at home hanging out with his wife. And I said to my wife, who forgets a speaking engagement? So we called it a Jeff Foxworthy. Well, now, for the first time in my life, I literally missed a speaking engagement. I mean, I've never done that before. I feel horrible. Now, fortunately, they switched a couple things and put the, you know, what they were doing at the end before, and, and I, you know, showed up. I didn't even have the right clothes or anything. I didn't have my material. I was like, okay, fine. I just, you know, and I showed up at 11. We did, we did the thing, and we actually redeemed it, and it was awesome, but now my wife calls me Jeff Foxworthy. So what am I going to do? I mean, that's just, that's just, your responsibility creates Conflict. And Adam had been given responsibility from God. And he had some battling and some problems with it, only his were not quite as innocent. They were a little darker. Because God put a call on his life as he did for all men. In fact, I want to I give it to us. This is in your notes. A will to obey, jot it down. A work to do and a wife to love. You want to say, men, what's our calling? What's our responsibility? What did God give to Adam and give to all of us? A will to obey, meaning you're supposed to rule under God. You have delegated authority. It's not all about you. You're not the center of this. A work to do. You rule over creation. We all have jobs and responsibilities and God calls you to it and it's honoring to God. Do your job. Do your responsibility. And a wife to love. Now, everybody isn't going to get married 
But you remember, Jesus didn't get married. So let's be clear about that. Some of us feel like called to be single. So the last one doesn't go on your list. Paul, the apostle, if he was married, he was widowed and he was bachelor the rest of his life. And then you could add to the list and kids to raise if he gives you kids. And so all this God sets in us. And now there's a question. And, and here's the question. Will Adam step up or sit back? Will Adam step up? Say it with me, everybody across campuses. Will Adam what? Step up or what? Sit back. What will Adam do? Great question. He knows his calling, knows what it means now to be a man. Will he step up or sit back? And here's a tale of two trees. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The forbidden fruit. We often say apple. It probably was, an ap was not an apple, but who cares? It, it serves the point. And God said, don't eat from this tree. And, and Adam had a will to obey God. Rule under God. Honor God first. Love your wife. So Adam and Eve are here in this moment. And Satan, which is interesting, tempts Eve directly first. Adam is right there with her and does what? Nothing. You got it. He does what? He does what? Nothing. He does nothing. It's, it's almost like he said, I didn't do anything. Exactly. He did nothing. He stood by. I've, I've often wondered, why does the scripture give us the story that way? Why, why did Satan tempt Eve first? I want you to know this. Satan tempted Eve first, but God looked for Adam first. Why? Maybe, hey, maybe Satan knew that the easiest way to undo a husband is to get through his wife. That's how you destroy marriage, maybe. Maybe, maybe. maybe it's because Satan knew that God had given the woman so much woo in the life of a man that Satan couldn't have gotten him directly, but indirectly he could get him through his wife. Maybe, maybe Adam had already stumbled like Solomon did and idolized his wife and she had already taken first place instead of God. All we know is Adam did what? Nothing. He stood by. And then she offered him the fruit and he took it and ate it. And he joined in the sin. He didn't honor God first. He didn't protect his wife. He did nothing. He was passive. And that's the easiest thing to do. Men, it's easy to be aggressive at work and passive at home. It's easy to step up at work and then when you get home, sit back. It's easy to step up to sports, but then sit back in spiritual leadership in your home or in the church. That's easy. And in the moment, Adam sat back. He really acted like a boy. Here, here's what I mean. I'll, I'll put this if you just want a kind of a, a sense of it. This is what boys do. They accept passivity. They reject responsibility. Say those two with me. They do what? Accept passivity. And then what? Reject responsibility. 
They lead cowardly. That's what Adam did. Adam, Adam was a coward. He became passive. He rejected responsibility. He acted like a coward. I didn't do anything exactly. And he suffered with a lesser life. And that's what boys do. That's what Adam did. And Adam got first accountability for this. God went to Adam first. He had first responsibility and first accountability. Now that does not excuse Eve. Eve had full accountability herself. Eve is equally created in the image of God, equal to Adam. And she was held accountable second and fully responsible just as Marsha, my wife, is in our marriage relationship. But I believe God went to him first because he was first accountability. And when he went to Adam, what did Adam say? When he said, what would you do? Adam said, yes, I did eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I take full responsibility. I brought death on myself and all of mankind. It is mine to own. And you'll notice there's no scripture reference. Because that never happened. What did Adam really say? Here's the scripture. The man, Adam said, the woman what? You. Let's just be clear. Everything was going good. I'm naming the animals. We're having a good time. And then you put me to sleep, did the rib thing. Boom. What do we got? Trouble. So the woman you put here with me, she, first of all, God, it's on you. And if that's not clear, anything left is on her. She gave me some fruit. Notice he doesn't say the forbidden fruit. It's just a little piece of fruit. What's the big deal? Give me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. I didn't do anything. And God's saying, that is the problem. He didn't do anything. It's killing us. Men, when we hide and blame God and blame our wives and blame anybody else, for something we helped create, the mess we helped create, we're being boys, not men. Now there's another tree. The other tree is the one Jesus hung on, the cross. Jesus was called the second Adam in the New Testament. And what was undone for transformed families by the first Adam, Jesus redeemed so that we could live transformed lives. He gave his life for us. He modeled what it means to be a man. And if it helps, then we'll just put it up here and be clear about that. Real men, not boys, real men do just the opposite. They reject what? Passivity. They accept what? Responsibility. They lead courageously and they sacrifice for a greater life. That's what Jesus did. He rejected passivity. He said, oh, mankind's sin. Oh, well, not my problem. I'm not gonna do anything. No, he stepped in. He, he, compassion, he took action, that's what men do. He, he embraced, accepted responsibility. He said, look, I'm gonna do something about that. He led courageously all the way to the cross, not cowardly in the background. And because of that, his sacrifice produced a greater life, for him and all of us. And so the question 
to all men is which tree are you living under? Right? I mean, that's a courageous question. Which tree are you living under? You know, you know, Adam's original sin was not just eating the forbidden fruit. It was failing to fight for his family. It's killing us for men to do nothing. Edmund Burke said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And that's what Adam did. He was physically present and responsibility absent. And leadership absent is costing us. The culture is crying out and confused over what it means to be a man. And we're gonna pick this conversation up on Father's Day and the week before. Two weeks we're gonna talk about the five marks of a man. And this is kind of the forerunner today from Adam's perspective. But men, what we at least do is join Jesus with a, a will to obey, a work to do, and a wife to love. And so with that, I'm gonna jump into the practical. Here we go. Uh, it's open in your notes, but how? How do you step up to responsibility? And I think, I'm gonna give you four things. We don't have time for the four. I'm gonna spend most time on the first two, and then if I have time, I'll throw in number three and number four. If you wanna jot it down, take notes, here you go. Here's the first two. I just put them up here. Embrace your title, do your job description. Embrace your title, do your job description. Everybody say it with me, loud and proud across all the campuses, even online. Ready? Number one, embrace your title. Number two, do your job description. Now, the last word God gave us on transformed family was not in Genesis 1 to 3. It's instructive, but he gave us more teaching. So grab your Bibles and turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. God gave us more insight on page 1176. And this time, if you don't usually grab a Bible and read with us, you're not familiar with it, I'm going to ask you to do that today. I'm not putting it on the screen. We're going to read. So I want everybody to grab a Bible. It's either in front of you. It's underneath your chair right here in this room. It's just underneath your chair. Reach down, pull it out. Grab your mobile device. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And it says, instructions for Christian households. Now listen, what we're about to read doesn't make any sense to non-Christians because they don't follow Christ and it's going to look strange to them. Hear me clearly. We live in a broken world who is me-centered and the thing the world knows most how to do is push one group down to lift up another group. This, this culture knows how to lift up men and push down women or lift up women and push down men. But Jesus lifts both. He pushes no one down. It's what's transforming about who Jesus is, and that gets an amen. And so with that amen, we go into the scripture. In fact, I'm, I think we should, if this needs our full attention. So if I may, let me just ask all of you to stand. We're going to stand and read this across campuses because we're going to stand to attention, and we're going to let the weight of this sit in our soul. I'm going to read the whole thing from verse 21 to verse 33, the whole thing. Because, listen, because it takes Paul 250% more time to explain a man's job description than a woman's, which is interesting. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Hang on, let me just pause. I want to pray. Father, before we read all this, this is your word. And Holy Spirit, we are desperate for you to open our eyes 
and open our minds and open our hearts. We are in a confused culture. Many of us are confused. We don't know how to take the wisdom of your word into living transformed. God, I would pray for all of us, but particularly men. Would you help us see what you said and live courageously the power of transformation that comes from this? So it's already anointed, anointed in our hearts. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head. The husband is the what? Head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit, should what? Submit. Say that with a little more enthusiasm. Wives should what? Submit, I feel the love, to their husbands in everything. Verse 25, husbands now love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love, ought to what? Love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed, feed it and care for their own body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one, that's a great teaching all its own, one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Have a seat. Now, God gives us a title and a job description. Listen, pay attention. God gives a title and a job description. For every title, there's a job description. For every job description, there's a title. He gives a title and a job description to men and a title and a job description to women. When I was in middle school, uh, I was offered quite a title. Uh, I was invited to be the manager of the basketball team. Quite honoring. And uh, I, I appreciate it. It's a pretty good title. Uh, and I leveraged that. Kind of walked on. Oh, I'm the manager. Basketball team. Uh, then later, I learned the job description. And the do job description was to be the maid. It was to wipe up the sweat when they, when, they, when they fell on the floor. It was to clean up in the locker room their nasty wet towels and the mess that the players. I basically became a servant to all the players. And I concluded that in middle school, I have the best title and the worst job description. Didn't care for that at all. Now, I think maybe marriage and family is messed up. Because we don't understand title and job description. And you're going to have to stay with me. We got to paint a picture here. This stuff is lost. And so I need some help with this. So I've asked Jeff and Heather Semple to help me. They're somewhere here. Give it up, everybody, for Jeff and Heather Semple. Um, they are on staff here at, uh, at the Central Campus, and um, they're going to help me walk through this because I need to paint a picture for us to see this. Uh, and so, uh, Jeff, great to see you. Heather, see awesome. You, here we go. Now, uh, Jeff, give us, give me like, I don't know, 15 seconds. Describe your, your wife's personality. Um. Are you rolling your eyes? Well, <laughs> she's smoking hot. Okay. So uh, but that. that's not personality. So, okay. Right. Yeah, we're good. Right. Okay. Uh, good. He should. You yeah. better say that. He's very, very smart. Yes, smart guy. So, smart. but yeah. her personality. <laughs> she's she's driven, kind of a type A, 
Uh, she's brave and bold, beautiful. I love you. Okay. <laughs> He's working it. Working you can't it. blame him. It might pay uh, off. Okay. okay. Uh, 15, 15 seconds. Uh, describe his personality. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm yeah, it's your turn. Okay. Um, he is life of the party, never knows a stranger, creative, um, again, clearly intelligent, uh, sensitive, um, amazing father. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So, so here, how long have you guys been married? 19, 19 years. 19 years. And what we just read tells us that, um, sure, you can celebrate that, yeah. tells us that you are the head of the household, okay, and uh, your job description is to submit. Um, <laughs> we talked about this a little ahead of time. <laughs> we did. A little, a little. Give away. Just a little bit. Give, give another word for submit. Um, yield. Okay. So, and you love that part. So this is your favorite part of scripture. Sure. Great. Um, so yep. let's talk about this because, um, I have, I have, I have wondered, I've been curious about the Christian community for years uh, for like the last few decades and how the church takes Ephesians uh, 5 and brings it into the life of, of marriage and family. And uh, honestly, the scripture is clear and uncomfortable and uh, we should get the whole picture. So uh, let's do that. Uh, Jeff, would you stand right here uh, and stay standing? Uh, just stand tall. Uh, you're the head of household. Uh, Heather? Uh, would you come over here, please? Um, Mark, there's mats on the I floor. put some mats there for you. Um, would you just take a knee because uh, yours is submit? Um, just go with it. Just, just, okay. Yeah, just one knee would be great. Okay, thank you. So, Someone's clapping. They're okay, clapping. Yeah, so, 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 no, no, one, so, no, no. So he is the head of household. And, and she is here to submit. And this is the picture we present to the world. And we say, if you want to understand God and Jesus and the Bible, this is the picture of marriage. And the world says, uh, that's ridiculous and insane. No, uh, and I don't blame the world because, listen, this is not the picture of Ephesians 5. Why on earth, listen, why on earth? Do we highlight his title and her job description, but not her title nor his job description? Why is it just his title and her job? Why do we say head of household submit and then we're done? We paint a picture. Listen, this is not the picture from scripture. Not only does the world reject it, I don't blame them. Jesus rejects this. Stay with me because I'm already losing people. So you're head of household. Pretty awesome. Just stay standing strong. No, take your time. Um, take your time. Submit. You're doing good. Take your time. Yeah, just. just I'm here to serve. Stay. So I'm here for it. Just stay. <laughs> I wanted to say just stay in your place. Okay. But that, that, that would be misunderstood. Yeah. So I didn't say it. And it would I be a lot say, of other things. I but. didn't say it. I said, so, I got to move. So, so this, when we present this, we've missed her title. Listen, God's title for her. 
sits inside this scripture. The wife is cherished. You get into the original language. She is cherished. Christ loved the church, gave himself for the church. She has an elevated, honored role. In Genesis 2, 18, she's called his companion. She's the other half of man, equally in the image of God. The wife is to be honored. I don't know why we're just talking about her job description and not her title. We're, we're missing something. Equally, equally, go with me on this. Equally, when we say head of household, what's his job description? To love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Listen, when we leave him standing, he's at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. <laughs> Why do we leave him over here standing and her at the cross? We don't have a complete picture yet. How did Jesus love the church? He sacrificed. He what? Sacrifice. So her job description is submit, and his is what? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Oh. How did Jesus love the church? What's the first thing he did? He got off his throne in heaven. And then he humbled himself to be a man. And then he sacrificed for our sake. And you have never known love like that kind of love. And he said, did you see what I just did for you? Now, husbands, you go love your wives just like that. So, head of household, I'm not done. Head of household doesn't stand over here. If submit is one knee down, head of household sacrifices, and that's two knees down. So, Jeff, I want you to come over here and be a man. Come on now. Right there, two knees down. Now that's a man. That's a man after Christ. Now listen, you want a picture and an image of what Jesus was describing? And by the way, by the way, look at, they're not kneeling to each other. They're not bowing to each other. They're bowing to Jesus. This is, this is out of love for who Jesus is and what he's done at the cross. And that's why chapter 5, verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So out of your love for Christ, he is going to sacrifice for her and she's going to submit. And they're going to try and outserve each other. And you can't compete with that kind of love. When marriage and family figures out that sacrifice and submit out of love for Christ is how you build a marriage, this right here works everywhere. And if men would find their place and women would take their place, title and job description, God could transform every marriage and family. We ought to get this picture that God created for us. So, thank you guys for... Uh, and Heather, wonderful job. Let's thank them. Thank him. Thanks for taking the knee. Uh, you know what it feels like? It feels like, um, you know, Jesus got the best title and the worst job description. Messiah. Job description, sacrifice. You know, I feel like I got put right back in middle school when I figured out scripture. I got that same stupid manager job and then made. Because <laughs> this right here is what it means to lead like a man. This right here is what it means for me to be head of household. Head of household on two knees. Humble before God. Humbly serving.
I, I grew up with this idea that the man gets the best chair in the house. You come home, you're king of the castle. Not in Ephesians 5. Man, I come home, I got to make sure that my wife gets the best chair because head of household gets off his throne and serves. So my wife has the best chair in the house. In fact, I'll just be honest with you. I wanted the best chair, and the only way to get it was to buy two, so I bought two of the same one. I did. I'm like, okay, there's no way I can have a better chair than hers, but I want this chair, buy two. Here you go, baby. This is for you. This is for me. <laughs> Marcia and I got married. Um, I borrowed something from Matthew Henry in his commentary from 1706. This was in our marriage vows. Woman was created from the rib of man to be alongside him, not from his head to rule over him, nor from his feet to be trampled upon by him, but from under his arm that she might receive his protection, from near his heart that she might receive his love. Real man. Husbands, what would it look like if you would embrace your title and do your job description? Hmm? This is not passive. This is active. Man, you got to go home and every one of us figure out how to work this out to make it work. Number three. I don't have time for three or four, but I'm going to do quickly. Number three, do the mundane with meaning. Say it with me, everybody. Do what? Do the mundane with meaning. Our firstborn, Josh, was not quite three years old. And his... Uh, Little sister, 17 months behind him. So I had two young ones under three. And we were headed to Stone Mountain for a 12-stone church-wide, uh, you know, picnic, which wasn't going to be big. I mean, there were 50 people at the church or whatever. But such is the burden of, of the joy of family that for some reason, you can't get out of the house and get somewhere on time. I, I just... I can't tell you how much it annoys me that I got to be somewhere. And, you know, y'all don't have to take your, your family to work, but I do. So it really messes things up. So I'm supposed to go to work and have a Christian attitude when I get there. But I'm so annoyed by the time I get there that, well, I got to move on. So, so we can't get out because it's mundane just stuff to do to get the kids ready. We got to go. And Josh hasn't done eating. And, and he's, he's, he's cramming chunks of pineapple in his mouth like he's never eaten before. I'm like, just shove it in there or bring it in the car. We got to go. I got people waiting on us. And so now we're late. And I got to you know, throw the kids in the car. And, and we're in a, a, a Honda Civic hatchback, which was not designed for four people because the seats touch. And he's right there behind me. And I got to drive fast and take the corners hard. And, <laughs> and just when we pull into Stone Mountain Park, man, I just, I feel this wet on the back of my head. And Josh was projectile vomiting pineapple. Just, it just slammed against the back of my head. And he's filling his car seat. I, how is it? That more comes out than went in. I don't even understand that. 
you're, you're just this big. Your stomach is like this, but you got gallons. I don't, and then the smell filled the car. And you're, and I got to pull in. I got a whole bunch of church people. Hey, pastor, you can't make it on time. No, I can't. And no Christian words were going on inside. <laughs> Nothing of Jesus. You know, I'll just pray and eat. I'm busy. I got to go pick pineapple out of a car seat in a public restroom, helping other men vomit with me. I'm I'm, I'm in the bathroom, and I'm literally picking out, and other guys are leaving. They're like, dude, what is wrong with you? Have some respect for a public restroom. And you know what I said when I'm doing this? I said, I hate my life. I just freaking hate my life. I, 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 I'm just tired of all the mundane. I get up and I try to be with Jesus and get over my attitude and I work all day and I come home and I got to serve my wife and kids and do the stupidest things to accommodate these little adorable drive me nuts toddlers and I do that until bedtime and I go to bed exhausted and I get up and I do it again and again and again. I've lost pretty much all my hobbies. We never make enough money. Nothing's ever good enough. I can't keep up with it. I hardly have time for friends. I hate my life. And then I'm going to stand up in front of people, praise Jesus, follow him. This is awesome. (laughs) And it's not awesome in here. In the middle of the mundane, God whispers something in me. He said, son, it's always mundane if you lose your meaning. If you, listen, if you've lost your meaning, You'll not only quit doing the mundane, you'll wander. And a whole bunch of us men are wandering in our minds and in our actions. And we're disengaged because the mundane will eat your lunch if you lose meaning. He reminded me I wasn't picking out puke and pineapple. I was raising a man. Keep listening. On Mother's Day, this past week ago, all the family gathered, and I watched Josh, who's 30 years old, with his daughter, who's not quite three, and his infant son, and he was doing all sorts of mundane things. By the way, grandchildren are awesome, and every good grandpa has a video to play. It's brief. It's six seconds. You're going to endure it with me. When she was sitting with me, we sent a little video to her dad, who was at work when I was babysitting her one afternoon. This is right here. It's just door. I just put the phone up, and here's, here she is. Hi, Daddy. I'm with Papa. I don't care who you are. Breland is adorable. And I wa- listen, I watched my son do all these mundane things. And then Breland said, you know what, Papa? I said, what, sweetie? He said, I'm going to marry my dad. Because he's my prince and he loves me. I thought, wow. You know, my son, my son isn't doing mundane things. He's raising a a woman of God. I wasn't doing mundane, mundane things. I was raising a man. Men. If you lose the meaning, the Spirit of God is telling you today, get the meaning back in your life because that's what the mundane makes possible, the things that are meaningful. Now I gotta move on. I've got time for this. The last one, I'll just say the words on the last one. Number four, get in a triangle of real men. All I mean by that is this. 
Ecclesiastes said, a strand of three cords is not easily broken. You will not be a man on your own. Get around. At least I've had always a couple of men in my life, and I've been a brother, and three brothers together can help each other be real men. Men who together agree to obey the will of God, to do our work to his honor, to love our wives and raise our families. And just maybe we need to have a moment with God. Maybe, not maybe, men, let's do business with God. Let's just stop with the soft passive, hey, maybe you should. No, let's do business with God. I'm going to I'm going to hand the service off to the campus pastors, and we're going to have a moment of prayer. We're going to humble ourselves before God. We're going to say to the creator, God, you, you made us in your image. We're going to humble ourselves. And when we humble ourselves, he lifts us up and does in and through us what we could never do on our own. So campus pastors, if you would, go ahead and lead this moment at your campus. And now right here in the room, cafe theater, we're going to have a moment before God. This is specifically for men. And men, I'm going to invite you in just a moment to literally come forward and make this place an altar at the front. See, right here is communion. It's where Jesus sacrificed. And if submit is one knee down, sacrifice is two knees down. Sacrifice is always more. Always costs more. It always gives more. Maybe right now you're just aware that you need to embrace your title. The Spirit of God is showing you where you've been passive. Maybe you hadn't paid attention. Maybe you didn't intend to be. But you're just aware where you've gone passive. Spots in your life where you're sitting back and God's saying no more. Maybe, maybe you've been standing, calling yourself head of household. But you're not taking two knees. You're not doing your job description. You keep thinking, man, she just needs to submit. And God's saying, you need to sacrifice. Shy of sin, she's first. Maybe you've lost meaning and it's become mundane. And you're not admitting to anybody else that your mind is wandering. Your attitude is wandering. Your spiritual leadership is wandering. And God says you got to get the meaning back. So we're going to all stand. Just stand with me, would you? And men, this is now an altar. And I'm going to invite you to just come before. Whatever you have issues, God's stirring in you right now. And it'll take some courage. Who cares what anybody else thinks? I want to pray over you. And we're going to have a moment before God. So you just begin to come literally like right now. I don't care where you, just you make it an altar. You can stand, you can kneel. I don't care whatever's, whatever God says. This is for any and all men. I just want to pray over you. And listen, while this is happening, uh, wives, ladies, uh, you pray for your men, you pray for your sons, you pray for your husbands. Maybe they're here, maybe they're not. And it's okay if it backs up into the aisle, that's fine. If you, you know, just jam up, but if it backs up, that's fine. Then make the aisle the altar. And this is for middle school, this is for college, this is for, this is for, for high school, this is for singles, this is for men who are married, this is for people in the midst of divorce, this is for people who are unclear, or people who are in broken places, or people who are doing great, and you're saying, I just need to go another level, God's stirring this and calling this, and so be it. So let's bow our heads together. 
Father Reitenhow, it takes a little bit of courage for some of us to just get out of a, a seat and say, God, I need you more desperately. I think today, God, you've been awakening things in me. I think today, God, I'm aware that I need a move of your spirit over my life. And, and God, I'm humbling myself before you. I, I'm saying like, like the other men around me, like, like those across the campuses, like those online, I'm saying, oh, dear God, right now, would you, would you do a work in me? I, God, there's places I know where I've been passive, places where I'm just kind of doing nothing. And it's costing me, God. I can, I, you're helping me see and you're opening my eyes. It's costing me. It's costing you. It's costing us. I don't even know. It feels awkward, God. I don't know how I'm going to have any conversations at home or anywhere else. But I know right now what I got to do is say, dear God, would you help me? Some of us got sin in our lives right now. We've been wandering and, and, and we're aware of it. God will forgive you, man. Just submit. Just surrender to him. Say, God, would you forgive me? God, would you forgive me? God, I would pray for those standing here among us who, have, who, who are spiritually unresolved. And they're like, is this just weird? No, no this, this is how we get right with God. And this is how we walk in the power of God. And this is how we free God up. Some of us are just saying, God, I'm not sacrificing. I keep thinking she needs to submit. I've got to find my way. I've lost meaning. In fact, Chris, would you... you just, everybody just stay where you are. We're just going to keep praying. I ask Chris Morgan to prayer partner join with me in this. Chris, would you just pray a move of God and, and seal this over the lives of men? And men, you do business with God. You be talking to God right now. It's not just Chris's prayer. It's your prayer. We'll seal it with this moment. Chris, lead us. Will you pray over us? God, we recognize your presence, Holy Spirit, in this place. And just as this service has unfolded, God, something of a vision of your plan, your economy for what you have in mind for us, God, has unfolded. And we just know we're broken. And we have need of your power. And so, men, today I just proclaim in the authority of, in the authority of God over your life that you are created for responsibility. And God, we just embrace that before you, God. And pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, God, you would renew our vision of what that means. And God, we reject passivity in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God. We don't even know how we got here, but we push it to the side in the name of the Lord. God, we commit before you to act courageously. Holy Spirit, would you break the places in us that make us weaklings? And would you pour out a fresh uh, anointing a fresh baptism of your spirit that we would act courageously. And God, we just say before you, we accept sacrifice. We accept the role before you that the Lord Jesus has already modeled. That for the hope before him, he endured sacrifice all the way until death for him. But he did it, God, for a vision of redeeming something. And God, we ask for that, God, that we would get the payoff in our lives personally, but also, God, in for our, our families, God. That our families would become a vision, a, a display of your splendor. And so, God, in that we embrace our title, but, God, we commit to our job description. We put that before you today. And in the quiet of our hearts, we just say yes. Just say yes. Just say yes. And God, we ask for your help that 
And we make a commitment before you that we would commit to preserving the kingdom meaning, God, in the midst of mundane, God, when it gets hard, we'll just remember that this is the kingdom of heaven at hand and everything we need to get into your presence. We could put a circle around our feet and it's all inside the circle. God, it's not, we haven't lost meaning. We've lost perspective. And so we, we, Holy Spirit, now, in these declarations before you, we ask for your help. Come and fill your church. Fill these men and make them mighty representations of the kingdom of heaven at hand, God. And let us see the fruit from that, God. Let us see uh, uh, a next generation rise up, rise up with a, uh, even a different perspective. So, God, we, we put it all before you today. And Holy Spirit, come and water the planting of the Lord. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And you might need to help a brother up if he's old. Like give a brother help on the knee. As you head back, men, high five each other all the way back. And the rest of us, we were just saying, yay, God, you do this work and you do more. You do this work and you do more. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing when the Spirit of God encourages you. And I hope this comes with encouragement. In fact, let me just remind you guys, the Lord resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's true for all of us. That's not just men. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And so we want the fullness of God's grace. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. God doesn't push anyone down. He lifts up men and women and he calls us men to be fully his. So we're going to close with a, a video. Have a seat and you'll be done briefly. When God transforms families and transforms souls, it leads to transforming communities. I want you to see a video of what we've been able to do together and just some of the cool things in this, this effort to bring food to the kids in the community in this territory, which we've done across all the campuses. The offering's gonna be received during this time. That's not an additive or, or that's, that's not like, oh, that's an intrusion for us. That, for us, it's an act of worship who walk with Jesus. If you're here, you're guest, you're not a follower of Christ, you're spiritually unresolved, man, don't give. Just let the basket pass, move on. A lot of us, like me and our family, give online. Easiest, best way to give. But some of you use the offering envelope. That's fine. So you go ahead and get ready for that. In fact, ushers, you can come. Yeah, you can come and, and, and receive the offering. But I want you just to enjoy what we get to do together in transforming communities. Check this out. Hey, this is Josh Ivey with the 12 Stone Flowery Branch Campus. And as you can see behind me, we have jumped in to our community food drive in which we're joining together as the body of Christ to go after food insecurity so that we can see the love of God begin to transform our community. Members just jumped in and decided to help out, which has been awesome. Um, working together, getting it done, getting the boxes packed. Tons and tons of food for these kids. Listen, we partnered up with organizations to get this food to kids, and this is part of the vision of transforming communities because of Jesus. Hey guys, my name is Andrew Beard and I'm the founder and director of Bridge the City. And thanks to you guys and the amount of donations you brought in the last week, you're about to make a huge difference in Hall County. We've got kids that are about to go into summer without schools providing assistance for their lunches and breakfasts. One in four families in North Georgia live in food insecurities where they don't know where their next meal is coming. But thanks to you and your generosity, this summer families don't have to worry about where they're gonna get food for their kids, but rather we're gonna provide it for them. Thank you for how you stepped up with the body of Christ. You shined the light of God in a very tangible way. So thank you.